All right. So today we are beginning a new series, a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, from the outside, I'm going to say that Ecclesiastes is a difficult book. It's a difficult book to interpret. It's a difficult book to apply correctly. And oftentimes it's a difficult book to just appreciate because it's not, it's not your typical book in the Bible. First of all, it's a different genre than most of the, of the passages that we look at. Most of the time, we don't actually preach through wisdom literature. That's just a trait of the church. It doesn't tend to do that. Because wisdom literature, this category that Ecclesiastes is part of, oftentimes uh, doesn't give us what we want from Scripture. It doesn't give us uh, theology that seems really helpful. Oftentimes it doesn't give us the, the pat answers or the encouragement that we think that we want from Scripture and we've come to expect from it. Instead, wisdom literature, the goal of wisdom literature is to orient us towards life in God's world. To actually understand what the world is like and how we fit into it. It's to answer those questions as, how are we supposed to live in this world? Connecting theology to actually everyday experience. That is the goal of wisdom. And therefore, wisdom literature can sometimes seem like it's not theological enough, or it doesn't talk about God enough. It can seem kind of secular. And so we can end up neglecting it or moving away from it. We just don't like it that much. But... We are called to read all of Scripture and to understand all of it. And so we are going to be looking at Ecclesiastes in this next series. Ecclesiastes is one of our wisdom books. Now, we tend to like some of these wisdom books. We tend to like Proverbs. right? We're happy with Proverbs because Proverbs, um, it's a little more simple. Proverbs is uh, essentially the introduction to wisdom. Wisdom 101, because it's made for kids, actually. It's to teach young people kind of what life is like in God's world. And therefore, it is appropriately kind of simple. So what we see in Proverbs is basically that a life that is wise is full of hard work and diligence and humility and goodness, and that that kind of life results in good things, results in prosperity and wealth and life. Well, we can get on board with that. We, that seems good enough. And we see on the other hand that a foolish life, a life of sloth and pleasure and rebellion, often leads to destruction. It leads to poverty. It leads to bad things. And so it, it's for, our, for kids to learn those lessons, which are important lessons. Proverbs is like that. Proverbs is the book of wisdom for the young. <laughs> But the thing about Ecclesiastes is this is the book of wisdom for the old. This is an old man at the end of his life looking back on his previous experiences and saying what life was really like. Now we all know older people, they tend to lose some of the filter and just tell it like it is. Now that is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is an old man who has experienced life and seen that honestly, some of the things that Proverbs say don't always work out the way that you expect them to. He has seen firsthand that sometimes the unrighteous prosper and they get the good things. 
He has seen that sometimes the righteous are punished for their very righteousness. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is setting out to write kind of a different kind of wisdom. A wisdom not in the ideal world, but in a wisdom that is about what life is actually like here on earth, here under the sun. All right, so what are the general rules that govern all of life that this wise man has seen play out? We're going to see this, first of all, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be focusing today. Uh, it's going to be on page 553, if you want to turn there. Some of you might not. You guys are already there. Look at all of you. Okay, well done. <laughs> uh, 553, if you're looking for it. And today we're going to see that the basic wisdom that is found in Ecclesiastes is that everything is fleeting. That everything is temporary. And therefore, everything is wearisome. Everything is frustrating. And everything has a certain sadness to it. That is what the author of Ecclesiastes finds. And as a result, he calls us to stop running after the fleeting things of this world, the things that are temporary, and run towards the only things that are permanent and everlasting. God and God's word. Alright, so let's turn to Ecclesiastes. I'm the only one who's not there yet, so let me get there. And let's read Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The, sun, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around, around goes the wind. <coughs> On its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. 
All right. Ecclesiastes, this is not for the faint of heart. All right, let's, let's continue on. But first of all, we want to understand who is this person that is talking? We see the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So who is this preacher? Now, Ecclesiastes isn't very straightforward about this, but elsewhere, this same title, this son of David, king in Jerusalem, is used to describe Solomon, King Solomon, the wise king. Now, there's some disagreement about that, but uh, traditionally, it's, it's been understood to be, have been written by Solomon himself. Now, if you want to talk more about authorship and the table talk afterwards, we can do that. But for that, for now, we're going to stick with Solomon as the author. All right, so we know the story of Solomon, that as he was called to be king over Israel, he recognized that he was not fit for the task. And so he called out for God to give him what he needed to rule Israel well. He calls out for wisdom from God. And God grants him that wisdom. And he grants him such wisdom that he becomes the wisest man on the earth. So he's famous throughout all the nations. Kings and queens flock to him for his wisdom. He's kind of known as a wonder of the ancient world. That is the man who is writing this book. And in addition to his vast wisdom, he also amassed for himself vast wealth and vast prosperity. So we can't say about Solomon, well, maybe he just hasn't experienced everything. No, he experienced everything. He has experienced all that life has to offer. And after it has all been said and done, he gathers up all of his wisdom and all of his experience, and he writes this book, Ecclesiastes, to tell us what life is like, the wisest man on earth telling us what he has learned. All right. So what is that? The, the great principles that he has found to be kind of the foundational things of this life. Look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That is Solomon's final conclusion. But unfortunately, the hard thing is that that's actually pretty hard to translate. So the word vanity there is, is you don't care, but hebel in, in Hebrew. And the thing is, it's not actually that clear. Because hebel is literally, doesn't mean a concept. It's a, it's a thing. It's called, it's vapor. Vapor or mist, which isn't very helpful. So it says, vapor of vapor, says the preacher. Vapor of vapor, all is vapor. All right, what do we do with that? Now, there's a different, different ways that we have to interpret that. You can't take that literally. It doesn't mean anything. And so some would say that that means that life is just meaningless. That vapor can't do anything. It's, it's gone so quickly it has no lasting value. Therefore, it's, it's worthless, it's futile, it's vain. Now, I think that's actually going a little too far to say that it's meaningless. Because throughout Scripture, we talk about mist, we talk about vapor, and the point isn't necessarily that it's meaningless. It's just that it's fleeting. You think of the, the steam that comes off of, of a pot. It's there one second, then it's gone. You have no idea where it went doesn't mean it's meaningless. It just is gone. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It's transient. And I think that's what Solomon is trying to get at with this word. That all of life is transient and fleeting. We see that same concept in James. 
where he talks about, and by the way, James is a New Testament wisdom book, so the correlation is good. Uh, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So life isn't necessarily meaningless, but it is fleeting. It's here one day and gone the next. Solomon also says that youth is a vapor. Youth isn't meaningless. We know that youth is important. But youth is quickly gone. So that is what Solomon is getting at. When Solomon has looked at life, he sees that everything is fleeting. That everything is fleeting. So all of these things that we think are so important, the things that we cling to, those things will be gone tomorrow. We cannot have them forever. The good things and the bad things, even the things that we think are devastating, the term papers or, or the, the, the job crisis, those things are fleeting as well. That everything comes and goes and it passes and we're on this constant cycle. That is what he has seen to be true all of the time. Whether good or bad, all things are fleeting. And then he talks about how this plays out in some of the various verses. So first of all, we see verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So he's looking at all of the work and effort that he has put in, that he has seen other people put in, and he sees that all of the prophets are too quickly gone. After a lifetime of work, everything is gone. They claim the prophets, they don't stay. They aren't permanent. Now, we know that when we, when we look at a paycheck each time we get it, we are surprised by how quickly it is gone. Right? It vanishes. Our profit is gone. But on a life, lifelong scale, Solomon is saying that this is true as well. That if you look at a whole life, you see that there is nothing to be gained. No ultimate permanence or things of lasting value. So take uh, one, one thing that Casey and I like to do. We like to do garage sailing. And sometimes we unfortunately end up at an estate sale. Now, I don't like estate sales because estate sales are sad. You go to an estate sale and you walk around and are kind of digging through the remnants of someone's life. This is the sum total of all of their toil. And, and here it is laid out before you. There tends to be signs of age thrown in there. There's the walker. There's that elevator stair thing. There's the, the shower seat. The signs that, that this person has passed and this is all that is left. And after a solid weekend, everything that they had gained in their life is gone. That is the reality of, of life that Solomon has seen. And then he turns to nature itself and sees this principle present in all of creation. Look at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So people are constantly dying and constantly being replaced by a new generation, turning over and over and over. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Solomon paints this picture of the sun kind of like 
dragging itself out of bed every morning, making its way across the sky, and then having to do it all over again. This wearying task it's never finished with. Same is true of verse 6. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The job of the wind is never done. The job of the river is never done. It can never fill that ocean up. It just keeps going and going. And so we, we often talk about the glory and majesty of creation. And we call people to see evidence that God is working in it. And that's true. That is there. But there's another element present in creation. And when we look at the world, we see that there's actually a futility and a sadness to it. The creation is suffering under the burden of sin and of the fallen creation. So that it doesn't accomplish any of its tasks. It has to keep working and working and working. You get a sense of that when you watch the, like, the nature documentaries. You just see the same birds flying the same course over and over. You, you feel kind of sad. It's like, should I feel sad? And the answer is yes. That is creation subjected to this kind of toil and wearisomeness, weariness. And the thing is that we as people, we don't escape this either. And that's where he goes next. Verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things yet to be among those who come after. So the question here is, do you feel tired? Do you feel weary? Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels and not actually getting anywhere? Do you look out in the world with a certain kind of expectation, hoping to find something new, but always disappointed? This kind of low-level disappointment running through the course of your whole life. That is, Solomon is saying, that is life in the fallen world. That is just what it's like. That you are never satisfied. You're never content with seeing enough, hearing enough, finding what is new and exciting, and yet always being disappointed. And it's the, the sad realization that if you're totally honest with yourself, you know that in a few generations, you will not be remembered. Now, that, that is a very bleak picture. Stephanie. <laughs> yes, it is bleak. And that, that is the sad reality. That the greatest things that you can possibly possess, they are fleeting. And many of you have seen the best times behind you. And they are not ahead of you. Every day we see this, this decay weighing, wearing upon us. Right? So we lose buttons from shirts. Our cars start to rust and break down. The paint peels from our walls. 
our pipes burst. These are all things that are signs that this world is, is falling apart. And then on a deeper level, we see kids grow up. We see friends move away. We lose jobs. The marriages that started out so great start to go awry. The world, the world is, is fallen and subject to this weariness and ultimately to sorrow. That's where, that's where Solomon takes us in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. There are things that, that cannot be redeemed. What is lacked cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who are in Jerusalem before me. My heart has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That's where the, the nature of this world as fleeting drives Solomon to see that this world is sorrowful and frustrating. We are tired, we are frustrated, and we are sad about the state of this world. All right, now, you're probably thinking, <laughs> yeah, okay, were we just in Philippians? That was like a lot more fun, we talked about joy all the time. Last week we talked about joy. Um, there are things to be joyful about. There are things to be joyful about. We have a relationship with Christ. We have an everlasting salvation. But I don't want you to miss this, this too. This is here too. And so we are called to joy. But we're also called to recognize that this life is hard. And oftentimes this life is miserable. And that's okay. We, when we feel that way, we don't have to say like, oh, I'm being a bad Christian. Instead, we don't have to silence that voice. Just like we don't have to silence the voice of Ecclesiastes. We can sit there and know that God understands. He understands. This book is proof that he understands what life is like on this world. He understands the sorrow and the hurt and the hardness of this life. And he didn't cut Ecclesiastes out of here because we need to know that he knows that. We need to know that he cares about that. He isn't apathetic thinking about that. He, he is with us in this suffering. He knows that it is like this. But ironically, this book also shows us that wisdom is not the answer. Wisdom can't get us to the solution of these things. All wisdom can do is show us what is wrong. And so he even says, he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. 
Wisdom actually increases the sorrow in a sense. Because it forces us to look upon these things. It shows us the problem, but it doesn't show us the answer. And that's where we need to, to see that, that God cares. Because this wisdom is supposed to push us to reaching out to God. So what, is, what does Solomon offer us here? First of all, he offers us the truth. And he reminds us that if we are running after all of these fleeting things, we are running after the wind. That if we are running after things that are in this world under the sun, we'll be left with nothing in the end. That is, that is the hard truth. And so it's a, a sobering truth that should wake us up. Wake us up to see that we, we can't keep striving after these things. All right, but oddly enough, Solomon isn't, isn't all the pessimist, right? He's saying that all of these things are good. He talks about pleasure. He talks about work. He talks about rewards for your labor. And he says that these things are good things. And to rejoice in them in their time. We're going to see that throughout Ecclesiastes. But the thing is that we take those kind of loosely. And we hold them loosely knowing that the best things, those are fleeting. And the worst things, those are fleeting as well. We can enjoy things in the present. We can mourn things in the present. But always recognizing that the good things are not life in and of themselves. And we don't have to keep running after them. They're going to come and they're going to go. And the worst things are not death. They are not going to destroy us. They come and go as well. We can stop just running and fleeting after these fleeting things of the world. All right. So what is the point of all of this? Why is Solomon telling us all of this? Now, the final conclusion of Ecclesiastes is actually uh, as kind of surprising and crazy as the book is, his application is actually surprisingly simple. We see it in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. We can turn there. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. This is what he gives as the solution, kind of the final application of the book. Chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon is essentially saying, in the midst of this fleeting world, keep being obedient. Keep fearing God and obeying God. Now why does he say that? That seems like kind of a simplistic answer to all of these really complex problems and questions. But the thing is that if everything is fleeting, Solomon is wise enough to see that we have to run towards the only thing that is not temporary. The only thing that is permanent and unchanging. And that is God. And that is God's word. Those are the two things that are stable in this world that are consistent in this world, and that are going to last. 
Because, honestly, this whole life is fleeting. Even the time of this life is fleeting. And Solomon is calling us to look towards the permanent life. A life that is to come. A life where God will judge and then he will reign. That is, that is the eternal life that we are looking for. And in that time, all of our labor will not be fruitless anymore. All of the fleeting things will become permanent. All of our relationships will last. All of our pleasure will last. And Solomon is telling us to look to that. Where Proverbs actually will be played out. Where the righteous will get the reward. Where the foolish and the wicked will get deserve punishment. Alright. But there's, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. Because you, you can't just end the story with, now, go fear God and be obedient. Because it doesn't totally solve the problem of the fact that we are fools. This is the wisest man on the earth, basically telling us, oh, just, just stop being so foolish. And the thing is that we're, we're trapped in this foolishness. And we're trapped, and we run after fleeting things. We know that we do that. And that's where we're being called away from just simple wisdom and into the foolishness of the cross of Jesus Christ. Wisdom has to end and we have to become fools who receive the foolishness of the cross. And that is our one hope. That Jesus Christ, the only one who is eternal and everlasting, he came and lived in this fleeting and foolish life. And he was subject to all of these sorrows and disappointments, to the fleeting nature of the world, because he cared about us. We know that God the Father cared, and it's proof, proof that he cared in Christ, that he would come and subject himself to this world so that he could change it. And so Jesus took on this fallen creation, this fleeting creation, and became himself fleeting and died. And when he rose again from the dead, he created a new kingdom, a new world, a new life. Not a life under the sun, the one that we're subjected to now, in a sense, but a new kingdom here and now, a new heaven on earth. That is what Jesus did. So, as we participate in that kingdom, things are no longer fleeting. In that kingdom, which is present here and now, it came when Jesus resurrected, we can have pleasure that remains. We can have fruitful labor that has eternal consequences. We can have relationships that will last forever. That is what Jesus did in his resurrection. He created a new life that destroys this life of Ecclesiastes. Now that's where we stand here now. We stand in this already, not yet, where this new kingdom of Jesus is, is confronting 
this old kingdom of Ecclesiastes. And we war with that in ourselves, but we are called to participate in the new kingdom, to abandon the things that are fleeting, mourning over them, but abandoning them and running towards things that will be eternal. We're going to take communion in a moment. And what communion is, communion is an anticipation of the new kingdom. It's looking forward to the fact that one day we will eat, drink, and be merry eternally. That that will be the nature of this kingdom. That we will enjoy God and enjoy creation. We'll have pleasure forevermore. That this Ecclesiastes life is not all that there is. And so, I would call us to, just this week, I want you to read Ecclesiastes. I want you to read Ecclesiastes and ask yourself a few questions. Now, I'll send you these questions. You don't have to, like, frantically write them down. <laughs> You're welcome, Helena. <laughs> um, all right, first of all, what does God want to show you about this life through this book, Ecclesiastes? And specifically, how does he want to reveal to you how you are running after things that are fleeting? How you are striving after the wind? Then, your next homework assignment, how are you going to express to God your sorrow and your discontent with this life? What would that look like? Do you feel permission to do that? Do you think God cares enough that he would let you do that? And then on the other side of this coin, thinking about the new kingdom, how are you called to participate in the new kingdom? How are you called to realign yourself with the unchanging God, the permanent God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ? hope is that the, the wisdom of Solomon would call us away from clinging to these things that are fleeting and instead clinging to the cross of Christ. They would cling to the things that are permanent and everlasting. That is, that is our goal this week.